Hey, did you guys see that, man? You know, it's not the, not the way I wanted to have my G1. I want to be wrestling in the finals, but Jesus, what better way to end the G1 than teaming with Tiger Mask and Jushin Thunder Liger? Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm going to go celebrate. I don't even have a mask. I'm going to get a mask. Welcome to another mini-sode of the Wrestling House Show covering absolutely everything you need to know about New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 Climax 29. My name is Chris, and this mini-sode is going to be a little bit different than the previous 10 G1 Climax mini-sodes I've done. I've focused on, dissected, and shared my thoughts about every single A and B block match so far, but now the round-robin portion of the tournament is over. After 20 men competed in 90 matches, only two people remain. Kota Ibushi and Jay White have risen to the top, and their entire tournament will be decided with one final match. That is the match that I will be talking about tonight on the Wrestling House Show. But I can't really just leave it at that. There was a full night of action that took place leading up to the final match of the G1 Climax, so I'll also briefly touch on the matches and the biggest moments that took place on the final night of the G1 Climax Tour. Before I get to all of that though, I would like to take a brief moment to thank all of you for joining me as I finally get to talk about the finals of this year's G1 Climax. Whether this is the first mini-sode you've heard or you've been following along the entire time, thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to me ramble on about this fantastic bit of professional wrestling. If you've missed anything along the way, all of these mini-sodes, as well as my written recaps and reviews for every show, are on cnjradio.com. And now, let's get to the action. The final night of the G1 Climax 29 took place on August 12, 2019 at the Nippon Budokan in Chiyoda, Tokyo, Japan at 3pm Japanese Standard Time. This was naturally the most well-attended show of the tour with over 12,000 people in attendance to watch Kota Ibushi and Jay White battle for the main event spot at next January's Wrestle Kingdom 14. Before those two men battled though, the other 18 men who had competed in the G1 were in various tag matches. For some, the tag matches would be a way to say goodbye to Japan before returning home to recover and work on how they would come back for another tour in New Japan. For others, the night's tag matches were a way to make a statement and to take control of their path in New Japan since the path directly to Wrestle Kingdom didn't work out so well. And for the four young lions in the opening tag match, performing in front of 12,000 plus people was an opportunity to get in some bragging rights in the growing rivalry between the Japanese and LA dojos. The first tag match of the night pitted members of the LA Dojo, Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks, versus Rin Narita and Yotasuji. I remarked on the second of these mini-sodes that I felt like Fredericks looked better than Connors, but I think they're both coming along well. They dominated the Japanese Young Lions on their home turf in this match, and Connors ended up submitting Yotasuji with a Boston Crab. Narita and Suji had a tough time competing with the energy and aggression of Connors and Fredericks, and I feel like this match could be setting up some entertaining wars between the two dojos, especially if New Japan decides to pick up the Lionsgate shows that they did from 2016 to 2018. The second tag match of the night featured the Suzuki-Goon team of Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Taichi, and Lance Archer versus Jeff Cobb, Tiger Mask, and Jushin Thunder Liger. Knowing that Liger's retirement is coming in less than five months makes every match that he's in feel more special than, you know, a, an already special Jushin Thunder Liger match. The biggest takeaway from this match is that Jeff Cobb seemed like he was having a blast. 
He was teaming with two legends, and the smile on his face during the backstage comments after the match was gigantic. Cobb pinned Kanemaru to get the win, and I was happy to see Cobb finish his first G1 with a fun match like this. The next tag match was the Bullet Club team of Yujiro Takahashi, Chase Owens, and one half of the junior heavyweight tag champs, Taiji Ishimori, versus Sho and Yo of Roppongi 3K, teaming with the junior heavyweight champ, Will Ospreay. This was practically a preview of the upcoming Super J Cup, since four of the six men in this match will be competing in that tournament very soon. The J Cup will make four straight New Japan tournament appearances for Osprey. Osprey is having the year of his career, and in this match he looked every bit like someone who wants to be a leader who can help carry New Japan into new directions. The match was fun, and when the Chaos team finally overcame the teamwork of Bullet Club, Osprey came out on top by pinning Takahashi after hitting Stormbreaker. Match number four was the first match of the night that felt like it might have some longer lasting effects. On the night after their war in the final night of B-Block competition, Juice Robinson faced John Moxley once again, this time in a tag match. Juice had Toa Hanare on his side, and Moxley was once again teaming with Shota, Shooter, Umino. Moxley and Juice were more concerned with fighting each other than winning a match, so after an initial brawl in the ring between Juice and Moxley, they took their fight out to the floor while Umino and Hanare finished the match in the ring. Hanare pinned Umino in the shortest match of the night, but after the match, Moxley hit Hanare with a Death Rider, his new name for the Dirty Deeds Double Arm DDT that he used as Dean Ambrose in WWE. Moxley then drove Juice through a table at ringside before leaving. I don't know when, but Juice and Moxley will definitely be having another match at some point in the future. The fifth match of the night was a giant 10-man tag pitting Chaos versus Los Ingobernables de Japón. The Chaos team consisted of Ryusuke Taguchi, Tomoaki Honma, Toru Yanu, Hiroki Goto, and Togi Makabe. While the LIJ team was Bushi, Shingo Takagi, Sanada, Evil, and Tetsuya Naito. This was as wild and fun as it sounds. LIJ had much better teamwork as the match went on, and Sonata ended up pinning Honma after hitting a moonsault from the top rope. It didn't really feel like this match had any lingering implications as far as future matches or feuds, but it was certainly fun to watch. The next two tag matches were definitely setting up some big things for the future, though. Match 6 was the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, along with the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga and Tangaloa, versus an odd trio of Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Kenta. Ishii and Yoshihashi are both in the Chaos Stable, so that wasn't strange, but Kenta has been kind of an outsider during the entire G1. He's regularly gotten boos from the crowd in every match, and he's had trouble getting along with pretty much anyone. And that's putting it nicely. Kenta has really made it a point to antagonize a lot of people he's faced, even if at times he did seem at least cordial in some of the tag matches he was put in. The match was good and seemed pretty typical as it started, but I noticed after a few minutes that Kenta hadn't tagged in yet. That's not terribly unusual for a New Japan tag match though. The good guys will often take turns in these types of matches, with each guy getting one lengthy segment legal in the ring leading up to the last guy ending the match. Kenta did end this match, but not for his own team. Ishii was legal and was getting into trouble because of the combined efforts of all three of his Bullet Club opponents, but when Ishii went to tag Kenta, Kenta short-armed Ishii and dropped off the apron down to the floor. Ishii got beat up some more, but he started fighting back, so Kenta entered the ring and hit Ishii with Go to Sleep. That allowed Tamatanga to pin Ishii while looking up at Kenta and smiling. After the match, Kenta called for a microphone, but before he could say anything, Katsuyori Shibata ran down to the ring and attacked Kenta. 
For those who might not know, Shibata is the head trainer at New Japan's LA Dojo, and he's a friend of Kenta's going back to earlier in their careers. For the purposes of the storyline, Shibata brought Kenta into New Japan and helped train him for the G1 Climax. Also, Shibata suffered a severe head injury over two years ago that has, with all likelihood, ended his in-ring career. So to see Shibata come running down to the ring and get physical like that was pretty amazing and completely surprising to me. Shibata fought off the members of Bullet Club as he continued to attack Kenta in the corner, but the numbers caught up to Shibata. Jado, who was also at ringside, hit Shibata with a kendo stick, and Shibata was overwhelmed. Bullet Club and Kenta beat Shibata down in the center of the ring, and with Shibata on his back, Kenta sat cross-legged on Shibata's chest, mimicking Shibata's own signature pose, and threw up a two-sweet along with Fale, Tamatonga, Tongaloa, and Jado. Kenta had joined Bullet Club. This was surprising to me, but I also do think it makes sense. Kenta has been getting booed a lot, though maybe not as much as Jay White. But still, Kenta's whole thing in the G1 has been about respect, and specifically not showing respect to anyone who doesn't respect him. His clash with Tanahashi in one of the tournament matches is one that I think clearly illustrates why Kenta joining Bullet Club is a pretty smart move. Tanahashi showed Kenta zero respect in that match, and even after their match, when it looked like Kenta wanted to be the bigger man and shake Tanahashi's hand, Tanahashi ignored Kenta and walked past him. If anyone represents New Japan, it's Hiroshi Tanahashi. So in the storyline, I think it makes total sense that Kenta would see Tanahashi's disrespect as a sign that New Japan, the wrestlers, and the fans won't respect Kenta no matter what he does. So if Bullet Club approached Kenta and asked him to join, then why not? If they want him while the rest of New Japan doesn't, then why not join? Also, I think leaning into the booze and making Kenta a despicable bad guy is a good idea. A lot of bad guys in New Japan get cheered when they do entertaining things, but to have Kenta be a total bastard while beating up some of the top good guys is a smart move. After that tag match, I thought the only other big moment of the night would be in the main event, but there was one more moment worth talking about. The final tag match was Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. versus Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. Sabre has been having trouble with Tanahashi over the previous few nights, and it felt like they were building up to Sabre putting his Rev Pro British Heavyweight title on the line against Tanahashi in New Japan's upcoming show in England called Royal Quest. That is the case because that match has since been announced, but another title match came out of this tag match. Sabre and Tanahashi fought each other to start the match, but Suzuki and Okada faced each other to finish. The teamwork of Sabre and Suzuki was great, they've been Rev Pro tag champs together before, and they overwhelmed both of their opponents for pretty much the entire duration of the match. Suzuki thwarted nearly all of Okada's attempts at offense, and Suzuki pinned Kazuchika Okada in a definitive fashion after a gotch-style piledriver. So out of this match, Suzuki earned himself an IWGP heavyweight title match at Royal Quest. I can't wait for that, but there would be no more waiting for the final match of the G1 Climax. The final match of the night, of course, was Jay White versus Kota Ibushi. There would be no time limit because a winner had to be decided. White won B block with 12 points, while Ibushi won A block with 14 points. Both men started their G1 Climax journeys with losses, White with 3, Ibushi with 2, but White won 6 matches in a row, while Ibushi won 7. For one man, those impressive and rather similar streaks would end with a huge loss. Abushi came to the ring first, and when Jay White came out, every member of Bullet Club who was at the Budokan that night, including new member Kenta, came with him. Bullet Club surrounded half of the ringside area, but referee Rechuz Uno was not happy about that situation. 
Red Shoes and Jay White have butted heads throughout the G1, and Red Shoes didn't trust any single member of Bullet Club not to interfere, let alone trusting all of them. So Red Shoes told every member of Bullet Club at ringside to head to the back. They obviously protested, but Red Shoes insisted. Gato begged to stay if everyone else left, so Red Shoes reluctantly agreed. The match started, but it had barely gotten going before Gato tried to trip up Ibushi by grabbing his leg from outside the ring. Red Shoes saw that, and he promptly and emphatically threw Gato out as well. The ensuing argument from Gato and White allowed Ibushi to attack White, but even with Gato gone, White really took control of the match first by going directly after Ibushi's still-injured ankle. White had started his attack on Ibushi's ankle the night before. Immediately after White won B-Block by beating Naito, White gloated and called Ibushi down to the ring. White used the pretense of telling Ibushi that they would have a one-on-one -on -one match with no shenanigans to get Ibushi to come in close. White, of course, attacked, ending the final night of B-Block action by completely focusing on Ibushi's ankle. Also, White has been using a sort of inverted figure four lately, so it was clear that White was focused and preparing for a singular attack during the final night of the G1. But back to the match with Ibushi. White's early attack on Ibushi's ankle worked extremely well. Ibushi was hurting bad right from the start. Ibushi managed to hit some big moves, but White has a knack for stopping the momentum of his opponents. Both men ended up trading some huge, hard-hitting moves, and White was already starting to look for Blade Runner as the match approached the 15-minute mark. The intensity of the match was picking up, and Ibushi was putting together some hard kicks, so White changed the complexion of the match by blatantly throwing Ibushi into Red Shoes, sending the referee out to the floor. White hit Ibushi with a low blow, and all of this was Gato's cue to come back out to the ring. Gato gave White a chair and helped White as he used that chair on Ibushi's ankle. White continued to attack the ankle while Gato sneakily rolled Red Shoes into the ring before going away and hiding out at ringside. White applied his inverted figure 4, but eventually Ibushi was able to reach the ropes. White unwisely gave Ibushi some time to recover though, and Ibushi responded by throwing White face first into the turnbuckles and hitting White with a deadlift German suplex from the second rope. White was in trouble, and he slapped Ibushi in a desperate attempt to throw Ibushi off his game. All that did was flip Ibushi's switch, though, and, as Rocky Romero said, Ibushi went into murder mode. Ibushi backed White into the corner with open-hand strikes and kicks, and Ibushi had to be pulled back by Red Shoes. White was in trouble. White continued to try to focus on Ibushi's ankle, but for every attack White made, Ibushi made at least two of his own. Ibushi went for the Bomaye knee strike, but that's when White decided to play possum. White falling to the mat for no reason caused Ibushi to hesitate, and as White occupied Red Shoes in the corner, Gato once again tried to interfere. Gato received a kick to the head for his efforts, and in a completely satisfying moment, Red Shoes called for Rocky Romero to come get Gato out of the ring. Rocky did just that, but the commotion allowed White to hit Ibushi with a sleeper suplex, which is one of his setups for Blade Runner. Ibushi didn't go down though, and he did hit White with a Bomaye. The second Bomaye got Ibushi a two count on White, but as Ibushi started looking for his Kamigoye knee strike to finish the match, White eventually countered the knee strike into a Blade Runner. White was too beat up by this point though, and he couldn't go for the cover. Ibushi's repeated attempts at Kamigoye allowed White to hit his final big push of the match, but White wouldn't get the chance to hit another Blade Runner. White was met with kick after kick and knee after knee, and even though it took two more Kamigoye knee strikes, Ibushi finally put White down for a three count. And with that, Kota Ibushi won the G1 Climax 29. 
It's likely he'll have to defend his contract for an IWGP heavyweight title shot at least once over the next few months, but as of right now, Kota Ibushi will challenge for the title and the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 14 in January. As aggravated as I was seeing Jay White win B-Block, and really specifically by beating Naito to win B-Block, I think New Japan made a good choice putting White in the finals against Ibushi. I would have pulled for Ibushi anyway, no matter who he was facing, but by putting White in there, it made for a very clear and polarized match with an enormously sympathetic good guy versus a weaselly and devious bad guy. The final match between Ibushi and White was really great not only because the match was entertaining on its own, but also because the drama was high. I was emotionally invested after watching so many matches and seeing both of their journeys, and I really was very nervous about the possibility of White winning. If Naito had been in the match, I wouldn't have been as nervous, because even though I would have wanted to see Ibushi win, I would have been okay with Naito winning as well. New Japan did a great job of putting this match together, and I really am awed at how well the entire tournament kept my interest so high throughout its grueling schedule. I was looking forward to each night more and more towards the end of the G1, and the final three nights more than paid off all the long nights spent putting other things on hold while I devoted pretty much all of July and part of August to New Japan. I think Ibushi's closing of the final night of the G1 Climax was great as well. Ibushi seems like a genuinely humble person, and when he gave his speech to end the G1, it was clear that he was in pain, but all he did was basically thank the fans for supporting him, he thanked the wrestlers for wrestling him, and then he went on to say that he would help lead New Japan into a new era, and that he would go on and do his best to win the IWGP Heavyweight title. And then in the post-match comments, again, he's a very quiet person, and he never really has a promo set up. He waits for the press to ask him questions, and that's what he did in the back. He had a toast with all of the members of the press out there, and after that was over, he looked like he was ready to go, because he was in pain and tired, and he was still sweating. But they started asking him questions, so he sat back down and politely answered all of their questions. He didn't say a whole lot other than he's as happy as he's ever been in his professional wrestling career, and by the end of him talking to the press, you could see the pain on his face. At one point, he just closed his eyes and grimaced, and then when someone asked him a question, he looked up and politely answered the question. So yeah, I'm really happy that Abushi won this match. I cannot wait for the next few months and to see him hopefully get his first IWGP heavyweight title come January. All of that being said though, I'm not sure if Ibushi vs. White was my favorite match of the entire G1 tournament. A number of other matches spring to mind as being really really great for various reasons. Some matches felt historic, some were surprising, and some were just really superb wrestling matches. And of course some matches were all of those and more. I haven't picked all of my favorite matches yet, but I will soon, and you'll be able to hear all about it on my final mini-sode for this year's G1 Climax 29 which will be headed your way very soon on cnjradio.com, the home of the Wrestling House Show and the home of the family of CNJ Radio podcast. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at House Show and keep checking back for more retro reviews, more monthly wrap-ups, and of course, one more mini-sode where I will share my favorite 10 matches from the 91 matches that took place in this year's G1 Climax. I need to go make that list right now, so I'll talk to you later. Bye. Ibushi just won the G1. Oh, shit. How do you feel? Oh, shit. No, 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 no. no. You don't lie to me. Get on your feet.
real lion. I'm happy to tell you that one. I told you. I told you. I told you, Kato. 